Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for week ending Friday the 19th of March. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you'll hear us chat to Kitty Flanagan about her brand new series Fisk that is screaming on ABC TV and iView. And Digger came in to talk about the wonderful season of autumn in Melbourne. It's beautiful. Uh, Kath and I went on a date. Mm-hmm. Mm, date night. Uh, so I had to chat about that. And also um, Matt Gundoff came in t- for brass tacks and chatted all stuff economy. Awesome. Uh, we also chatted luncheons and Jez performing at one. And we spoke to student climate activist Jean Hinchliffe before she ran off to school about her book Lead the Way. Triple R. Kitty Flanagan is one of Australia's most beloved comedians, an award-winning author and fixture on our screens from Full Frontal, The Sketch Show in the UK, The Weekly with Charlie Pickering and Utopia. She's now created, written, directed and stars in the new ABC narrative comedy series Fisk and ahead of the show's premiere tonight, the insanely talented stand-up joins us on the line now. Kitty, hello and welcome to Breakfasters. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, it's our pleasure. I was I was reading your best-selling Australian book industry award-winning 488 <laughs> Rules for Life, and I hesitate. You know, you're in that book, Dan. Uh, I, was... I reference you in that book. I know. Oh, I, um, here we go. <laughs> Name drop. <laughs> I'm chuffed and embarrassed. Um, so stand yeah, by my claim. That's stand right. No. Dan, you... is, Dan is one of the finest conversationalists in, in the country. <laughs> well, let's blow that apart in the next nine minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Fisk, it's, it's, it's all capital letters for a start. <laughs> isn't, isn't that interesting? It's aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They said, uh, what do you want your title to be? I said, aggressive. <laughs> they, made me, they made me take the underline off and the bowl, but I got to keep the cap. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, you play a lawyer. Of course, you're not a lawyer. You've never been a lawyer, unlike everybody else in comedy. So what's that about? I know. I'm one of the few that hasn't done it. And as we started sort of writing it and shooting it, I started to think, God, why did I do this? I don't know anything about being a solicitor. So, you know, there was we did actually have someone uh, that we consulted about, you know, what do lawyers actually do all day? Because there's a lot of me just, like, pretending to write things. Mm. I do a lot of, oh, look at me taking notes by hand. I'm sure that's what lawyers do. I forget <laughs> some of those yellow legal pads. It's legal pad, legal pad, get me one of those. That'll make me look loyally. So, um, yeah, we, I did a lot of that, and mostly it's just me, though, dealing with clients. So. Yeah. And it's shot in Melbourne, South Melbourne. Did I, is it no. the... North Melbourne. North Melbourne. Oh, of course, with the 57 tram. Mm. Or, mm. Yeah. It, it, that, which will become apparent because we were filming uh, at the Lithuanian Club and the tram does right, run right outside. So there's a lot of trams <laughs> in the show, and uh, whether by design or accident. And uh, I'm hoping it won't piss the Sydney viewers off. <laughs> yes. I, I feel like Sydney people are going to be going, yeah, all right, we get it. It's Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> um, and your dog's in it? Yeah, I put my dog in it. <laughs> I put all my friends in it and then I went, who else? Oh, I know. Let's put my dog in as well. Wrote it with my sister. Basically, I was just looking for a way I could get everyone together during COVID. And, uh, yeah. It was an elaborate ABC-funded plan that I came up with. Um, and this is another sort of in, two inside baseball question, but did you name your dog after your manager? <laughs> well, there was a big controversy about naming the dog. That was the hardest character to name because I didn't use his real name. <laughs> I wanted him to have a stage name. So I wanted I wanted to call the dog in the show Doodlebug because that's what he answers to. He, I call him Doodle, and it was the one thing my um, my co-director and I disagreed on. He just said, you can't call the dog Doodle. And I went, why? That's what... I call him Doodle all the time in the park. He went, no, don't call the dog Doodle. He said, it's really stupid. And it was the only fight we had on the whole show. Wow. So then, yeah, then I ended up going with, I'm going to name him after my manager. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> well, let's talk about your creative partnerships. So Tom Peterson is, uh, what, co-director with you? Yes, he co-directed it uh, with me. But um, he, he does a whole lot more, Tom. He never just directs. He's, he's pretty much across everything. He's really... Yeah, he's a boy wonder. Mm. What's it like done it without him. scooping up people as you go along and cherry-picking your face? <laughs> I know, I've really done that, haven't I? I just go through shows, I go, hmm, have you been paying attention? I'm adoring working, working with Marty Shegold. I'll put him in. <laughs> right. 
I like working with Julia Zemiro. She's in. Yeah. Mm, Tom Peterson, you're a good director. You're in. Yeah. Oh, I like writing with a sister. Yes, I do. You're absolutely right, Dan. You've, you've picked it. I just collect people. <laughs> but, I mean, that's that's a good skill, isn't it? And it's one of the virtues of being around. It's And, you know, we do have a lot of talent in this country. Well, I think it's, it's also, you know, I don't want to big myself up, but I think it's also smart to put, mm. um, you know, clever, talented people around yourself. You can only look good because of it. Like, I think some people worry about, oh, these people might outshine me. It's like, oh, shine away, people. Mm. (laughs) Just give me some, I'll bask in that. So, yeah, so I really just made sure I I put funny people around me and then hopefully that'll, you know, translate into the show being funny. Can I ask, um, like, you've, you know, done some pretty amazing thing. What's, why has it taken so long for you to come up with your own show? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being inside my head. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I reckon it took a while, and I'm hoping it won't take so long for the next woman. <laughs> I'm hoping I've done a bit of uh, bit of work there, and hoping yeah that um, it will be. I mean, it's it's not just me though. Obviously, the the Kates have done it as well. Mm. They've had their own show, and um, but yeah, I, I do feel like it does take a little bit longer to push a woman's show through. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm just very grateful to have got to the other side, and hopefully, um, yeah, people. Hopefully, the show will be good, and people will go. Oh, look, women are good at this. Let's yeah. do So it's not like you, you know, hadn't thought like you'd been pushing, you know, had ideas and stuff for for many years, and it just never, you know, oh, yeah. got through. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's triple R. I guess I can say it. I've been pushing shit uphill for a while, Dilly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but um, no, but I, I think you know you just you kind of you keep pitching and you keep pitching and eventually, um, eventually this one stuck. So, and maybe maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I was finally you know ready to turn out a good one. Maybe if I'd gone earlier, it, uh, it wouldn't be so good because I'm really I'm really really happy with this one, which is rare for me. I don't usually like my own work. I um, I'm one of those people that goes, oh, I don't know, but I'm I'm really happy with this one. Oh, the I show is preposterously well. funny. It's so unbelievably <laughs> funny. <laughs> That's the quote I want on it. <laughs> Absolutely funny. How how do you reconcile your deserved popularity with this apparent view that you're sort of out of step with the times? How can those things be true at the same time? Oh, I didn't know I was out of step with the times. So no, but you, you know, you're not you're not all you. over social media. You know, you. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just I'm just not on social media because I'm actually very fragile. And I just, I just can't, I can't read things about myself. They just stay with me too much. Like if I get a bad review, and I read it, those words, like I can still remember things that, that people said about me from 25 years ago. Good things, they disappear. I don't yeah. remember those, but the bad things just go round and round in my head. So I just, it's just better for me not to be on social media. I've got a Facebook page and an Instagram thing, but re- they're really just for work and promoting stuff. And mm. you know, I don't kind of need to. I, I also don't, I genuinely, and this isn't being, I'm not just trying to be, you know, faux humble or whatever the word is, but I genuinely don't find my personal life that interesting either, so I would wonder why anyone would be interested in it. All I do is walk my dog and hang out with my sister and a couple of people. Like, I don't have a big, glamorous bunch of friends or anything, so, yeah, I just don't find my life that interesting to other people. I like it, but... Yeah, it sounds I, I pretty blissful to me. <laughs> Nice. What about... um, It's not a story. You know, it's not a story. I'm not out at glamorous places and, you know, it's kind of like, it's pretty boring. Well, speaking of glamorous, what about your clothing for the show? Um... (laughs) I want to know about that yellow suit. I really want to know more about that one. Well, that's a a one-off. So, really, I spend the entire um, show in a brown suit. Um, I just wanted to wear a big, baggy, comfortable brown suit because if I could do that in my real life, just yeah. wear the same one thing every day, I'd be so happy and I'd have so much more time. I just would. I just hate deciding what to wear in the morning. It's very Chaplin-esque. <laughs> <laughs> well, before they took it in, like, believe it or not, they, they have taken that suit in to make it fit me. And before I looked like... Um, Ronnie Barker in was it um, <laughs> uh, was it what was it called Open oh. All Hours? Remember, remember when he was a storeman, like a store owner in Open All Hours? If you Google that, that's pretty much what what I modelled myself on. Ronnie Barker in the seventies sitcom Open All Hours. The, I, There's r- one for your young listeners. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was. I um, realised you, you're quite right, Dan. I'm out of step. <laughs> <laughs> I was in England, Ronnie Barker running an antique store. <laughs> Quick comedy no. to run antiques, true story. Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, living the dream. Um, so uh, now six episodes. 
yeah. 30 Minutes, Julie Zamiro, Marty Sheargold. Tell us about Aaron Chen's in it. Aaron Chen's amazing. Aaron Chen, I wrote the role for him and hoped that he would do it. And I was so delighted when he said yes, because I just find Aaron Chen one of those rare people who can make a straight line funny. Yeah. Mm. And that is such, it's such a thing to find one of those people. So I knew that, you know, we'd written lines for him, but I also knew it doesn't matter what we write for Aaron. Anything he says is funny. He Mm. has just the most quirky, adorable charisma. It's just, it's one of those things, charisma. It's so, you you can't learn it, you can't buy it, you can't teach it. I just... Yeah, yeah. It's but one of those things where he's he's like that on stage and off. Like you just yeah. yeah, you hang out with him backstage or whatever, and it's just oh man, I'm in fits of. I try hard not to. I don't know how you manage to get any work done with him I, on I, set. You know, I know, and he's so joyful too. Like he's not only like very funny, but he's also really easily amused. Which you know you got to love that in a person too. I love mm. someone who laughs as much as they make you laugh. Mm. So he was just a, he was a joy to be around, and Marty Sheargold as well. It's just you know. The, the permanent, the permanent performer. Just, it's just always funny, and yeah, and Julia Zamiro, what a delightful person and funny too. So we had such a good time. What's the oldest idea that you've plucked from your past and shoehorned <laughs> into this sitcom? Oh God, um, oh gee, that's a really good question. See, this is why you're in my book. <laughs> Because there are so many old ideas. Oh, do you know what? Probably one of the oldest things that I've been trying to get up in something for a long time is um, the scene in the cafe where someone actually speaks up and tells someone to shut up and get off their phone. Yes. Mm. Um, I've, I've been I've been plugging that for a while, hoping trying to get it up somewhere in a sketch or a, you know. So I finally got that. Found on a home. Which was happy. I was thinking yeah. about that because I there was years ago. I wouldn't do it now, but I asked a barista for a coffee extra hot. Oh. Yeah, so Mon doesn't like that. No, no, I'm just just listening. Uh, yeah, sure, you're just actively listening. Anyway, it came out actively tepid. Oh. So I learned my goddamn will... lesson. <laughs> so, and we've got that in the in the show as well because yeah, I always hear old people. Sorry, no, they're <laughs> Right. Now I use an excuse that I have to travel with. Anyway, uh, look, the show is just so extraordinarily funny and well put together. It's Fisk. It's oh, thank you, Deb. Debuts tonight. How exciting at nine pm on ABC I know. TV. I'll be in a restaurant. I'll be in a restaurant. I can't watch it. I'm, I'm yeah. I'm too nervous. So my sister and I are going out for dinner. Oh, have a tremendous dinner. Where are? Where, what city are you in now? Um, I've moved to Melbourne. So yeah, I'm a Melbourne person now. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. Well, it's uh, it's fierce. It's on. It's created, written, and stars, and all the rest of it. Kitty Flanagan. A pleasure to talk to you as always. Thank you, guys. So nice to talk to you. So good to get good questions. <laughs> Melbourne's own Triple R. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you from your pants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. Can you stop singing about dirt? After, let's face it, an underwhelming summer, Digger's here to herald in the new season. Morning, Digger. Morning, all. How are we? Good, thank you. Excellent. I can guarantee that this season will absolutely crap on last one. <laughs> I, Guaranteed. I, I think I agree with you that autumn is better than summer now. I think autumn is really nice. Autumn in Melbourne is better than any season in any city in the world. There I go. Whoa! Whoa! Shut it all down. (laughs) (laughs) It's over. And that's probably the end of my segment. (laughs) What a statement. No, it really is. It is absolute perfection. doesn't matter what you want to do. You want to go for a swim? Go for a swim. It's warm enough. You You want to go for a walk in the forest? It's fine. We get a little bit of rain. There's colour of it. It's just, it's perfect. You want to Absolutely put it, get a fire going? No problem. Mm. Absolutely. Um, it's cool fire season. That's what traditionally was done in, in you know, what we call autumn. So, yeah, there's so much, everything's good about it, you know, and I think yesterday was a prime example. It was, it was the perfect day, you know. Mm. Yeah. So the birds are chirping. It's good. Oh. Who All is right. this digger? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, 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 it's I, I really feel like I come alive during autumn and, the, you know, the rest of the time it's, you know, just the grind. But it just makes me happy. The season is just 
Look, it's all, you know, the, the climactic things. that We have our temperatures are, are mid-range, so low to mid-20s is our kind of average. Now, that's perfect. I don't know anyone who wouldn't, you know, say that's really good. That's a really nice day. You can wear long, long light clothes if you want. You can wear short T-shirts and, and super short shorts. Whatever you want, you're still going to be comfortable. But for me, it's more like um, it's not just the temperature of the, uh, you know, the, the lunchtime and on. It's my favourite parts of the morning. So like right now, the sun is just starting to peak up. Um, we've got this you know, light mist or haze that's kind of around in the sky. But then, you know, that beautiful glowing, glorious glowingness of the sun coming up through that, it's just beautiful. The mornings of autumn are cool and glorious. Mm. Well, we're two minutes shy of the official sunrise. Mm. Really? Yeah. So, and it's, yeah, you'd be able to see balloons out in the sky, I suppose. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a house on fire outside my window. (laughs) It's it's glowing pretty hard out my way. Mm. I mean, we're talking a matter of seconds, really, so it's (laughs) It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And who thought the Bureau could be wrong? (laughs) (laughs) What about, what makes autumn good for gardening? (laughs) What's good about it? So many things. So it's, it's, autumn is a busy time because, you know, you're kind of prepping for, Obviously, winter's going to kick in and it's less likely that you're going to be outside doing a lot of the big slogs. So it's kind of like the prepping season. So some of the jobs are obviously rip out. If you if veggies, are, your summer veggies are pretty much done, rip them out and start making some way and doing some soil preparations and getting your cool season vegetables in. So rip out the old, in with the new. That means you're going to be using a bit of compost, a bit of mulch. You know, just you get the smells of gardening in autumn. Um your exotic perennials. So think about stuff like, you know, your classic lavenders or fajoas or salvias and those kind of things. They've all finished their summer flowering now. So it's time to give them a good haircut. So you can go quite brutal on them. Essentially, if I had to give one tip, it would be don't go past the last sign of life. So wherever you see the last leaves, don't go any deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, you might take um, obviously where the flowering part of the plant is and maybe a third of its foliage would come off. So you get to go the hack. You get yeah. to spend your Saturdays taking out a bit of frustration on your plants and just prune them all right back, mm. which is wonderful. So your evergreen perennial shrubs and that get cut down now. And then you, you are, you, use, sorry, sorry, are you saving all those prunings and stuff for your mulch or? Oh, Jez, you've read my mind. Next point, you, yeah, you oh. use all that. Whether you're going to be. I've learned a just, lot from you it's, over it's called, the years. Oh, good stuff. You can chop and drop, which is my favourite, just leave it on the ground underneath the shrub. Um, you could, you know, do a bit of meditation and chop it down quite quite fine to go, to go as mulch or start a compost pile with it. So great time of year to start compost with all the prunings and obviously all the other stuff that falls in autumn. So we've got all these glorious leaves that are falling everywhere, great for making some either leave them on the ground as mulch or, or make some compost out of them. And it's also a great time to plant natives. So mm-hmm. if you're thinking of native gardens, whether it be your nature strip or or filling a few pockets in your garden, um, now is the perfect time because we had a mild summer, um, as Daniel was saying before, and so, but the soil is still at its warmest point of the year right now, you know, so it's even though our days are starting to cool off, it takes a bit longer for the soils to catch up. Mm-hmm. So the soil was warm. We are going to get some rain, even though the next five days is looking glorious. The rain will come because traditionally we do get the occasional thunderstorm um, in autumn and a bit of lightning, which is amazing. So the soil's prepped. The temperature is warm during the day. It cools down overnight. We get a bit of rain. It's the best time to get your plants settled in. So whether you're planting your natives or you've pruned back your exotic shrubs, you can even transplant now. Now's the time to do all your moving around. If you think, oh, that thing's not doing so well over there, dig it up, move it over, pop it in somewhere else, and it's got all autumn and winter then to settle in. Nice. Mm. <clears throat> um, just and we, I want to continue down the gardening track, of course, but it, since you love autumn in the city so much, do you have a preferred avenue or a favourite sort of patch? Uh, my joint's pretty good, but <laughs> there's um, – Anywhere where there's an avenue of deciduous trees. Mm. So it's really the, you know, it's the thing about autumn for me, you know, being a garden gardening lover of all things plants, um, deciduous trees still fascinate me. And even though it's, it's lovely, like, you know, I'm looking out in, across the suburbs now and in autumn you get this 
spattering of canopy colour. Yeah, so the, the trees are already starting to change colour. And it's just so unique in autumn that you see a little dot of this here and there as you drive around. But m even more unique, and I think what makes the season more beautiful, is not just the colour in the canopy, but underneath all of them you get this little carpet, this draping of colour from the leaves falling on the ground. Now, you don't see that or you don't notice that any other time of the year than in autumn, mm. and it's a very special time. So for me, I was in actually exhibition gardens um, on last weekend and mm. the leaves already started to fall. So when you have an avenue of deciduous plants and the leaves are falling, so from a distance you can see it's kind of like falling like snow They're just mm. as the wind blows. Mm. I really love that little effect. And then this massive carpet on the ground underneath it, I don't care how old you are, you want to do a run and start booting them, yeah. you know, <laughs> run as fast as you can and start booting them and chucking them. So I had a group of um, my son's kids with me went to, you know, to IMAX and, mate, they just couldn't help themselves. It was on for young and old and they were just chucking leaves and rolling in them and burying each other. And if it wasn't for the other, other adults standing around, I was because sort of <laughs> it was outside the tennis courts there, you know, and I was like, oh, man, I want to get in here, but it might look a bit creepy. Um, so, yeah, for me, to answer your question after that long-winded, I was kind of just lost there. Oh, um, you're such a an romantic. An avenue of deciduous trees, I don't care where it is. Mm. Brilliant. Um, so, love them. Yeah, was it, is there anything else uh, autumn-related? Um, it's really get out there. Get out there and sit under some trees. Enjoy that beautiful dappled sunlight because it's not nothing's too harsh. So get your vitamin D and just go and maybe even look up a list of gardens to go and visit. So mm. you, we can move around, go up to Macedon or go up to Dandenong or, or head out to Lilydale and start seeing some gardens and just get out into nature because, you know, the next four to six weeks is probably the best time of the year in this city. Glorious. Um, Digger, you're an exotic perennial. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Talk soon. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Uh, went on a date last night. It's oh, exciting and yeah. controversial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> went, on, went on a. We had a date night. Uh, I went on a date with my fiance. Oh, Kath. Yeah, Kath. That's that's who she is. Many people know about her. She's been um living down in um spends a lot of time down in Venice Bay, and I'm here. So I haven't. I and then because I was in Adelaide last week. So we haven't seen each other for a, a, probably two and a half weeks, something like that. Wow. I, could, I, could, I couldn't work out exactly mm. when we saw, we last you, hung out. You, is it, were you texting, FaceTiming? Yeah, text, we text. Hey, babe. Yeah. Miss you. Mostly Love it was, you. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want you more than ever now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But mostly it was nine nine. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, it been so. Uh, but she came home yesterday, and obviously you know um, had done the. Oh no, sorry, on Sunday. So had done the gig and stuff. So I saw her there, but it was like it's been a while since you know we just kind of had a, did something nice yeah. together. Um, so we. Uh, went out for dinner. I was like, where do you want to go for, you know, we should go out for dinner. And I'm like, what do you, you know, and then I'm like, what do you feel like, a, you know, and she's like, I don't want to go to a pub because that's the only option I've got in Venus Bay. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, we, we live in Collingwood. We're going to take advantage of where we live. Mm. So I was like, you choose somewhere. I'll have a nap and then you choose. <laughs> when I wake up, I want it done. <laughs> Um, but no, we just found a little, uh, like a little wine bar, um, like a couple of blocks away and it was just, yeah, it was so great. It was just, you know, just went in and like our favorite thing, I'm, I was looking at the menu going, oh, I can't, like, it's just one of those menus that it's just, oh, a little bit of this, you yeah. want a little bit of that, get a couple of those, whatever, whatever you want. And I was like, oh, I can't even, I don't even know what is What's that? Yeah, am I going okay. to be hungry? I don't is know this how a much yeah. small plates? Is that how you would describe uh, it? Or oh not? yeah, that that's small a, plates. Well, Olives. that works for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then right down the bottom, 
is the magical words <gasps> feed me. Yeah, love I'm them. Like, yes. Oh, fantastic. I'm like, yeah. We'll just do that. And I, I don't know whether it happens very often because the waiter was like, oh, great, okay, yeah. <laughs> you like, suckers. Yeah. But it was, no, I think she was like excited that she was just like, I don't have, like that makes, obviously made her job very easy. You don't have to talk you through everything. Yeah, yeah. just goes back and she goes, oh, um, okay, any Oh yeah, any any dietary requirements? <laughs> and we're like, nah. And then Kath's like, oh, I don't like coriander. She okay. okay, yeah, no, I don't think great. <laughs> um, and and drinks. And I'm like, oh yeah, we've got one, but yeah, could bring them. This is oh so good. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was amazing. So it sounds like who was that impersonation? Was the that waitress? The, the waitress. So this is. It sounds like the first Feed Me post-lockdown. It, maybe it was. Oh. Is it a new place? No, no. I don't think so. I don't think so. But it seems like... It, maybe it was, it's midweek and you know, not a lot of people go all out. I think Monday night, yeah. the Feed Me option doesn't come up very yeah. often. And I think it was the, um, you know, because everyone else, like we booked, you know, mm. made a booking for like six o'clock and rocked up like, oh, we've got a booking. And they're like... Well, you can sit wherever you like. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those places where pe- I think people pop in, you know, because it's a wine bar essentially. So people would just pop in and for a little drink and then go. Yeah, I've got, I think I've got this weird um, opposition to the word food and feed in a culinary atmosphere. Like I get feed me. It, traditionally, it might be called a banquet, I suppose. Although maybe there's not enough or food. Or chef selection. Yeah, yeah. Or a degustation. Yeah. So is feed me too casual? Is that? It's too. Uh, I, I mean, I get it, and I like it, and I am excited by it. Okay. Does but... it invoke images of you just sitting there <laughs> with your mouth <laughs> open and someone like going, um... "Here comes the airplane." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and and there was, I think, a place like a cafe called Eat. Or oh. if it's got eat in it, or there's a there's a selection. I think there's a restaurant inside a bigger building called the. I, I call it the. You know how this happens. I called it out loud the foodery. Oh, food, and of course it's food, pronounced foodery. Foodery. But even that makes me feel a little bit utilitarian. So you're like, be a little bit more poetic. Yeah. More. Okay. Yeah. Whereas it's just like, here's your sustenance, your Homo sapien. <laughs> <laughs> Sustenance by Daniel Burke. Yeah, I want to go to that place. Yeah, that dystopian. Um, but but was it fun? Did you dress up? Oh, I wore the, the exact same clothes that I've got on now. All oh, right, lovely. Yeah, so just three piece suit. <laughs> <laughs> just wore, wore wore a shirt and and pants. But Kath looked nice as well, and yeah, it was great. And it was you know because we booked it for six, so. Early enough and mm. got home. I was like, look at the time. It's only it was home by eight. Oh, that is ideal, isn't it? <laughs> I love an early dinner and I love not having to choose. Yes, yeah. it's just like everything. You, I'm like, yeah, don't. T-. And then you know, got home, and then you know, Lloyd was so excited. He's like, oh, oh. I'm like, Lloyd, two hours, mate. Two hours. That's all we've got. You're acting like we've been gone for two days. Have you not been practicing the separation anxiety fade out? Oh yeah, all the time. But I think it's <laughs> you know the um, he gets excited. You know, I think because the both of us came home like that doesn't happen. That's yeah. When was the last time that would have happened? My God. Yeah. Did you yeah. catch up? I know this is personal, but did you like how much of a date was it? Did it feel? Oh yeah, we we did some catching, and uh, you know. And I said, because um, she goes back to Venice Bay today, um, and I said, when you're away, like, maybe we'd do more than just texting. Oh. Yeah, maybe. We, and she was like, okay, whatever. I'm yeah. like, no, but <laughs> yeah. this is not just, like, you know. Is it FaceTime or phone calls or Yeah, just some phone calls. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, like, and she goes, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. But maybe just a few text messages aren't enough. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, okay. I'm like, I know you like to work through everything on your own, but mm. I like some, I like, and you know, sometimes you just listen to me on the radio and you're all caught up, but I would like to know <laughs> things that you're up to. So more, more, te- less texting, more talking. Yeah. Mm. Or start a show. 
that you can. Yeah, you start a podcast, cat. <laughs> yeah, and then I can, you know, listen Jimmy. in. What cat's been up to? Yeah, what's cat's been? Carriage riding with cats. <laughs> Triple R. The Reserve Bank and the federal government appear to be at odds over the need for wages growth in Australia. To explain why and what this means, we're joined for Brass Tax this week by Matt Grundoff, Senior Economist at the independent Canberra-based think tank, the Australia Institute. Matt, welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Um, can you step us through what's going on? Well, basically, I think the uh, the government is looking at the very micro level, and the, uh, the 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 Reserve Bank is looking at the macro level. So, so wages growth is good for the economy. Why? Because uh, if people's wages are going up then um, people are also, uh, workers are also the people who buy stuff. So if your wages are going up or everybody's wages are going up, then there's more demand in the economy, um, which means the economy is going to grow faster, it's going to employ more people, things are going to expand. It's also, um, the economy is as much psychological as it is mechanical. So we, we have this situation where um, if, if, the, if people think that their wages are going to rise, if they're, if they're expecting their boss to give them every year a nice, a nice wage increase, they're more likely to go out and spend on things like holidays um, and more discretionary spending. They're, not, they're likely to be happier um, and generally feel more, more, more content to spend more money. And so we get more um, spending in the economy. But the opposite is also true. If, if people don't feel that their, their, their incomes are expanding or they're going to get a pay rise, then they're less likely to go out and spend. They're more likely to worry about their financial position. Um, and, and if they save more, then they spend less. Um, we don't have as much growth and we don't have as much employment. What's the government got against that? Well, that, that's a great question. It's because what they're doing is, is they're looking only at the individual level. So if you, if you look at just the individual firm and you think, well, you know, the, the amount of demand for my goods and services isn't related to anything else, that's just, you know, however many people come through my door, then wages are a cost to employment. So as wages rise, then I can't, I can't employ as many people um, because um, those costs have gone up and I can't expand. Um, but that kind of ignores the fact that, that their yep. workers are also customers. And so, you know, if, you, if wages are suppressed, then the amount of people walking through your door wanting your product is not going to be as high. So what are the signals that the Reserve Bank and the government are on different pages with this, and, and how common is a division? Well, Reserve Bank is... Bankers are, are a pretty boring bunch, and that's an economist telling you that. They make us look exciting, right? So, they, but they, they never, they, they're not particularly direct. They don't like to tell the government what to do. But the Reserve Bank governor um, has been incredibly bolshy for a Reserve Bank governor about this. He's basically come out and said, I want to see higher wages growth. And I can't remember in my entire career hearing a Reserve Bank um, the, the head of the Reserve Bank basically coming out and saying wages should be higher. Mm. Um, so we know, and we also know that the government is not really interested in this because all the policies they pursue are about wage suppression. That is, it's about even, even their most recent IR changes are designed to um, suppress wages, to reduce the power of um, workers to be able to negotiate higher wages. And what role do you think JobKeeper Ending will play in this debate? Well, it's likely to increase unemployment. So there's likely to be a lot of, well, not, not necessarily as many as we're, when we're at the, 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 you know, the bottom of the recession, but there's likely to be quite a lot. We're probably talking about hundreds of thousands of workers who are going to lose their job because at the moment they only have a job because the boss is getting um, a big chunk of their, their a big percentage of their, their weekly wage in JobKeeper. Um, and so higher unemployment makes workers worried. Um, if, you, if you see that, you know, um, your friends are possibly losing their job, you might be um, 
you know, you might lose your job, uh, there are plenty of people who want your job because there's lots of unemployed people, then you're not going to go into your office and demand a pay rise from your boss. You're just going to accept whatever's on offer. And so um, more unemployment means that workers aren't going to demand higher wages, which means we're going to see wages growth stay exactly where it is, which is almost at zero at the moment. When was the um, last time we saw any kind of significant wage growth? Uh, we haven't really seen any significant wage growth since 2013. So we had quite strong wage growth through the mining boom in the early sort of 2000s. We had the GFC and it kind of slowed for a little while, but not very long. And then it kind of bounced back from about 2010 to about 2013. Um, and then it has dropped since then. And to be honest, there's probably a section of the Australian population, a significant section, possibly up to half, who have not seen a real increase in wages, that is, their wages rising above inflation since 2013. So there's probably quite a lot of Australia that, that, that is, is basically um, has the same wages now as they did about eight years ago. Does that mean, like, um, you know, I guess, the, like, businesses and stuff are, are, are booming kind because of, they're not paying as much or is and is that the yeah. idea of the what the government wants yeah so as economists we think about it as uh gdp is not only everything that's created in the economy it's also the total income if you added everybody's income in all of australia up um, that w you would get to gdp so we look at the wages share of gdp and the profit share of gdp so what percentage of total income goes to wages and what percentage of total income goes to profits and wages is at almost record lows it basically bounces along at just under 50 percent or just above it sort of uh, it wavers between the two or about half of all of um, income profit share is at almost record highs um, and, and that's a, a direct result of the fact that um, um, that, that um, businesses um, are not having to pay higher wages. Um, and the, the, the recession has um, put a bit of a, a, a punch in, in, in that way, that uh, profit share, sorry, um, because workers aren't buying as much stuff. And so, so therefore, um, profits haven't been as high. But, but also... Um, but, but at the moment, basically, uh, workers are not getting a big share of the national income and um, the owners of property, the owners, owners of businesses, sorry, are. Can you look at this issue at a state-by-state -state level or is it just applied nationally and there are no distinctions? Um, it, you can look at it by state-by-state. -state. It's harder to do because there's not as much um, uh, data at the state level as, as the national level. But it's totally true that, that some states um, are doing better as far as wages growth than others. Um, and, but we have like a, uh, industrial relations, which is uh, the IR laws, is kind of a national thing. So, so the, most of the uh, industrial relations laws and regulations are basically the same across different states. And so there's not a huge difference, but there are differences between the individual states. And uh, do you have any short or long-term predictions in regards to wages growth for the nation? Well, I think it's going to continue along quite slowly. And the reason for that is, is we've spent basically 30 years um, trying to undermine workers' ability to, to, to get a pay rise, to undermine the power of unions. Basically, since the 1990s, the mid-1990s, that's what we've been doing. We've been trying to, to prevent workers from, from getting a pay rise. And we're, we're a very clever country, and we've succeeded quite spectacularly. And, and really, it took a while for those that... that um, the, the, that, that to occur. I mean, it couldn't happen instantly, but basically for the last almost decade, um, workers haven't been able to. We've seen reasonably strong economic growth um, uh, since in the last eight years. It hasn't been spectacular, but it's certainly been strong enough to generate wages growth, but we haven't generated wages growth. And, and the simple reason is, is because workers don't have the power to collectively get together or to, um, to demand wages. We've got lots more of the gig economy, we've got lots of casual work, um, and all of these things undermine uh, workers' ability to, to demand higher wages, um, and so we've succeeded. So, so even if we have stronger and stronger economic growth, um, we're not necessarily going to see wages take off like we used to, or we're going to see that wages growth simply because the way we've, we've structured our IR, our industrial relations, is, is undercutting workers. Mm. Is that a fixed problem? Do you envisage 
a solution down the line? Uh, I hope so, definitely. It's certainly a solution we can fix. I mean, we changed it to put um, um, businesses in the box seat and enable them not to have to, uh, to, to, to pay workers more wages. We can certainly change that and, and, and swing the pendulum back the other way. I mean, industrial relations is, 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 is a, uh, a contest, if you like, between workers and businesses. Um, and we need an industrial relations system that doesn't really favour each. We want that contest to occur. And at the moment, it, it massively favours business. And we need to swing it back towards workers in order to allow them to get that wages growth. Or, or we're going to see an economy that just doesn't grow, that's very lacklustre for a very long time, simply because businesses will eventually work out Oh, my goodness, my customers are also my workers. Mm. Well, Matt Grundoff, thanks so much uh, for your time this morning. Really thanks appreciate it. From the Australian Institute, Matt Grundoff there. Triple R. Today, corporate gig on Friday. Sell out. Yeah, mm. yeah whatever. <laughs> Got to pay the bills, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, did this uh, corporate gig and it was um it was you know when they sent it to me they're like oh Jolene there's um here's the the layout of it um it, it's for uh the Chamberlain Foundation which is like Rosa Ray Chamberlain the AFL footy umpire um and it's basically it's you know they raise money for different um, different charities each year, but it's always related to suicide prevention. Um, and it's because it's Razor Ray, it's very much a... They have it every year at Crown and uh, the audience is 70% men. Previous luncheons, they've had um, Dave Hughes, Limo... <laughs> Pete Rose Thorne, but this year mm. they would like a female comedian. Diversity. Yeah, they'd like a – so on paper you go, oh, this sounds like it's going to be a tough gig because mm. I've done gigs for, you know, for audiences that are 70% or more men and maybe at a football club and stuff, and it's it is rough really? as guts, um, and it's you know especially like I think with the if it's at a football club and it's a football team, they're so used to being competitive on the field, and also that means off the field it's like who's gonna be. We're number one. You can't have you can't have a bloody someone else coming in here and try and be funny. I'm the I'm the bloody funny one here, you know. Um, so and then being a female, like you know, Matthew, things you know. Can you do the alien like Pete Rosethorn does? Easy. Oh, stick. Yeah, that's right. Like, sticks his gun yeah. out. I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good thing to do. Actually, just pretend you're one of the comics they did in yeah. a book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, remember that guy from last year? <laughs> um, so, anyways, but I, you know, was like, oh, so was obviously a bit nervous about it and stuff. But like all corporate gigs, you like you just you go in and you do your do your time and then think you just think about the end result. It's like this is going to be over. <laughs> it's like I'm prison. Gonna, yeah. Um, and then beforehand, though. When I was, they said, oh, they'd love to, if, you know, because they haven't, it's a luncheon, so if you want to stay for lunch. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, fruit. Mm. Yeah, I'll stay for lunch, thinking that it was me do comedy and then there's a lunch. And then, like, I, I just felt like if I wanted to get out of that, I could I could do it. Um, but it was the other way. It was lunch first mm. and um, then. You couldn't was, relax. Couldn't, couldn't, but, you know, in the, but it was like, oh. Be... Are you even that hungry before? No, no. Normally, don't not don't normally eat before, but got you know got to the venue and then they someone came and you know met me at the front and then took me in. She was you know super lovely. She goes, oh, it's so great. I'm you know so excited you're here. And then she said, I've got you on the table next with Ray and other people. You'll have a great time. And then I get sat next to Razor Ray Chamberlain. And this is VIP. someone, yeah. This is someone that I've yelled at. <laughs> you know, this is someone that I've been watching on TV and gone, "Oh, get out of it, you 
like just a, someone that I, you know, and he is the most loveliest person. <laughs> he was so genuine and, and he was just like, oh, Janet, g'day. Janet, it's so great to meet you. Thanks so much for doing this. Um, and I had uh, – because I was staying with Carol Wilson last week and I was talking to her and she goes, oh, man, that sounds like a nightmare. And I'm like, I oh, know. And then she messaged me afterwards. She goes, how did it go? I was like, mate, it was bloody lovely. Mm. It was so good. I'm like, do you know what it was? It was a room full of men that were all in touch with their emotions because they're all talking about suicide and preventing mm. suicide and their experience with mental health. And it's like, of course – they were bang up for me getting up there and doing comedy. It yeah. was like just like the best and and because Ray got up, you know, and did a, you know, thanks everyone for being here and this is what's happening and he went, oh, we've got Joel and Hickey, the comedian, and she is, oh, man, she is funny on so many different levels. Like you're in for such – so automatically everyone's on board and it was just like no, this should not have worked but it was just like, oh, what a – what a bloody dream. That's excellent. Yeah. I also think that the, we need to have more luncheons. Mm. Like the difference between a lunch and a luncheon. Yeah, what did you eat? Oh, three courses. It was so mm. good. So, so like, that's a luncheon. Three courses. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But um, but it was good because, you know, little entree, a bit of um, like smoked salmon, mm. something like that and some other – it was like, yeah, yeah, I'm getting to that. Um, and then I think it was like uh, – like a steak or something, like some oh. sort of big chunk of meat. Because <laughs> there's um, no yeah, blokes love that. Yeah, yeah. luncheon meat. <laughs> yeah. It was stress. No, yes, <laughs> no steak. Either beef, maybe beef or st- any yeah. beef steak. Let's say that. Okay. Um, on a bed of something and with some sauce. Potatoes? Is there any potatoes? I can. I honestly don't remember anything <laughs> other than yeah, because I was about to. To go on and then, which was good, so I kind of add a bit of that and then got on stage and did my thing and then got off stage as I put the dessert down. Oh. Isn't that a treat? Oh, Divine. here's your little cake. Well done on yeah, a good yeah. comedy. Like work's done. Here's your, here's a little tasty treat. Along the cheesecake, I think it was yum. Mm. So good. I'm going to bring in brunch in. Oh, brunch in. So what's that, a three-course brunch? Three-course brunch. Oh. What's Big- on the menu? Potato Rosti. Oof. Hello. Yep. And this is a, this is available from Sustenance by Daniel Burke. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Sustenance for Homo sapiens. <laughs> Brunchen. So, yeah. So yeah don't you rosti. have to say Rusti because it's Swedish or something? Do you? Well, I think no one does. And I don't either. I'm cool. I'm dodged. I say Rusty, But I thought because it's got the little umlaut on the O. I thought you had to say. Not all of them do. This is weird because we were talking about the word junta. Oh, yeah. So you got... Military junta. Yeah. Or do you say junta? Junta as it would have been divided. Or as people just say junta. I don't know about junta. People are saying junta. It's a bit Aussie. You're going to – yeah. It's interesting that we went from potato cakes to (laughs) – Okay, so roosty, fine. No, no, I just want you to do that so you seem like the wanker at the cafe. Roosty, please. I'll have (laughs) – Yeah. Uh, Anyway. Eggs. Yeah, eggs, salmon. Ro- I mean, that's just one meal. That's not. A- yeah, well, you yeah, see but you break get- it up into three yeah, courses. Exactly, it's a yeah. bit of degustation. So, what do you just have two plain eggs on their own? <laughs> <laughs> what are you What are you doing with your eggs? Then? Putting them on the on the roasty. And- okay, so that's your first. This is I'm a not- brunch. And- <laughs> We're trying to start a movement. Yeah, <laughs> I think you gotta have you gotta have like a few little. If you're going to have a few courses, it's got to be like when you go to a hotel breakfast buffet. Yeah. And you've got to have some little fruit, a little sweetie bit. Yeah, Maybe we'll a, do little, that. a little croissant and some fruit. Great, perfect. You start with a little, little pot with some yo- oh, layers. Oh, the, yeah. The yogurt, Love the usually bit of fresh fruit yeah. on top. There's your birch jug. Yes. <gasps> Can there be banana bread or is that a. Is... Maybe it's a choice. <laughs> choice. Between a birch, birch jug and, <laughs> and a banana bread. Yeah. With, yeah. with a coffee. And then you got to graduate to the hot, salty potato yeah. and eggs. And then what What about some beans? And <sighs> Oh, not for me. No. But but fine, if you want. It sounds a bit of full English breakfast, yeah, doesn't think, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, We've yeah, diverted. you could go two, two eggs on a plate on its own and then later <laughs> yeah. just a handful of beans on a plate. <laughs> 
some black pudding. Yeah. I will never go to this cafe. Triple R. Jean Hinchcliffe is a climate activist and a lead organiser within School Strike for Climate who campaigns for legislative action against the sourcing and usage of fossil fuels, along with pushing for Australia to become fully carbon neutral. Her debut book, Lead the Way, How to Change the World, from a teen activist and school striker, is out. And to uh, tell us her story, the student and Get Up volunteer joins us now. Jean, welcome to Breakfasters. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Now, you're doing HSC, is that right? Yep, I am at the moment. So how, how did you... Um, how did you manage to put this together? And given that your schedule, I suppose, is so tight, what? How come this book was such a priority for you? Um, I got most of it done through my year eleven year, but um, it was very chaotic. It was lots of late nights and stress and blood, sweat, and tears all went into it. But um, I did get it done before year twelve. Thank goodness. Mm. Um, but yeah, I felt that it was such an important project to me and sort of creating a resource which other activists and sort of politically inclined young people could use to learn how to take action I thought was just such a necessary thing to pour my time and effort into. Mm. You ask a question, change yourself or change the system. Um, Can you speak to that perhaps rhetorical question? Yeah, so it's it's sort of discussing the idea of systemic versus individual change and action. And I think often, particularly in the climate space, people worry a lot about their individual impact more than changing the systems around themselves. I mean, for example, in the plastic issue, um, whilst it's great to try and reduce your plastic consumption and do all those sorts of things, ultimately it's a system that that needs to change and make it possible to live a zero-waste life, for example, in order to have that be really effective action. So it's sort of saying that if we work together and try to change these broader systems rather than just focusing on our smaller individual impacts, that way we can make the biggest change. And what about the direct lobbying of politicians? I mean, I gather you've met a few MPs in your time. Is it, a, is it a, an avenue that seems fruitful? Um, it's an avenue that should be fruitful, and I, I know that it can be in some circumstances, but... Overwhelmingly, my experience has been entirely patronising, almost feeling like a photo opportunity. Um, It's really, really rare to have a politician that feels like they're genuinely there to hear you out and have a conversation and are sort of open-minded about it. Um, I think that it's something that has potential and it's something that can have a very real impact, but I know in my own experience it has been really disappointing. I guess um, some people um, who aren't activists, um, can you explain a bit why, you know, doing something like going to a protest, what that actually does? Because I think, you know, we talk about that individual level thing and it's like I think individually people go, why, if I go to a protest, what does that achieve? So can you talk to a little bit about like what protests actually do achieve? Yeah, so I think that protests... One single protest will never be the thing to change everything, but it, it, it's sort of it's always part of a broader movement, and it's a way of showing the amount of support a particular cause has, and the fact that people are willing to take the time out of their day to take to the streets and, and demand change is a really, really powerful statement. Um, I think that if you look at yourself as an individual in those situations, it feels like you're doing very little, um, and it, it's quite intangible what impact you're actually making but when you're there you are just one amongst many who are sort of broadening this movement and then making it so much more powerful and it is every single person making that choice to be there again and again and again that makes that sort of broader change. What about the internal politics of a movement when you're at the front line of all this? Is there is there any, um, you know, desire to keep a united front and b- push down any uh, disagreements? Or how how do you compromise and manage all the different personalities when you're spearheading a movement? It is <laughs> a very difficult thing. Um, and I, I know this is the case across pretty much every activist space. There's always going to be clashing personalities and clashing ideals, but... 
ultimately it's so important to have these disagreements and to have not conflict per se, but to have conversation. Um, and I, I think the main thing is as long as everyone respects everyone in the space and understands the difference between what's a personal attack and what is genuine, fruitful conversation, it turns out okay. And if you're understanding the difference between what's an argument and a, and a conversation, if you're really keeping an open mind and trying to find the best outcome together, it, it's definitely a tricky thing and it takes a lot of work to, to find that balance. But um, yeah, having that diversity within a movement is just so important. And have you found that your peers and sort of classmates and other people your age are generally more responsive to this cause than older generations? I think quite often they are, which is upsetting. But I think younger people are more aware of how this will impact their futures because so often when you're seeing projections in the climate space about how you know, in this particular year, this particular impact will happen. You sort of visualize yourself being maybe 25 or something and <laughs> hearing about this sort of disastrous impacts. It is so upsetting. And I, I think younger people have a belief in change. And you can say it as idealistic, but honestly, I, I think it is very real. We just haven't been entirely disillusioned to our own potential yet. And what does your family make of your commitments? I noticed that um, you roped in your mum to administrate your email. <laughs> yeah, she does help out with some of that stuff, particularly now um, with HSC. I, oh goodness, I'm behind on everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, they generally very supportive. It, it, it was, I think, not unexpected per se, but... Um, I'd never been that involved in activism. I'd done some volunteering and gotten involved in some campaigns. And then suddenly I sort of jumped into the deep end and was doing all this stuff. Um, and I'm pretty much the only person in my family who is really involved in, in this area. But, yeah, they're, they're definitely supportive and they always show up to the rallies. And mum takes lots of pictures and gets very excited mm -hmm. the whole time. So, yeah, it, it's, it's really lovely. And uh, just can you cherry pick some tips in the book that you maybe wish that you had have known before you embarked on this this chapter in life that you've begun? I think one of the biggest ones um, is sort of inside a movement and looking at how you structure yourselves and how you make decisions and whatnot. And I think when I was younger and first getting involved, you see all these almost celebrity style activists <laughs> and they seem so cool and important and they have executive director roles and things like that. So I assume that's what made change making legitimate. And over time I've come to realize that being decentralized and keeping it grassroots and having it super democratic and sort of horizontal style um, organizing is so much more powerful and so much more effective and just, been so brilliant in this youth space. Um, yeah, so I think <laughs> I wasted a lot of time not realising that and um, sort of wishing for something different before um, really accepting what I had and, and understanding just how fantastic it was. So, yeah, I wish I told Baby Green that. Mm. And just almost finally, you the school strike for climate, while there is broad, you know, positivity around it, there was some abuse in sections of the media. Did you did, did, did you experience that up close? I mean, it, that's what it looked like to an outsider. It looked like it could be pretty rough on the mental health of kids. Um, whilst I did personally get a lot of hate and comments and messages, um, I found the entire time the best thing to do was mock them. <laughs> I'd sort of do <laughs> dramatic readings with my friends or mm. laugh at them or like sort of screenshot them and post them on my close friend's story to get all my friends to laugh at because it's, it's almost absurd just the fact that some random old man is taking the time out of his day to say really odd insults as well <laughs> and the, the media ones as well. I, I think they were equally as funny but – it also, if anything, is sort of encouraging to me because it, it somewhat proves that we are effective and we're making a real impact and we're threatening older people if they feel the need to sort of tantalise us and, and insult us like that. Mm. And what action do you have that's on the horizon? 
Yeah, so just tomorrow, actually, School Strike for Climate, we're organising events all across the country. Um, yeah, so to, talking about gas and talking about the government's need to take immediate action on the climate crisis, particularly in the sort of response to COVID. So, yeah, um, if you check us out online, you can see if there's an action near you that you can get involved in. Cool. Well, Lead the Way is the book, How to Change the World from a Teen Activist and School Striker. It's a guide to activism. And uh, we've been speaking with its author, Jane Hinchcliffe. Thanks very much, Jane. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jane. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of The Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website.